0: Hey, before we get into this episode of I'm Living Proof, we just want to give you a heads up about the content. Brianna's episode will touch on topics such as substance use and domestic violence. If these topics are not for you, we encourage you to skip this episode and join us next month or listen to previous ILP stories. You can also read Brianna's letter over at our website where those topics are not explicitly discussed. Remember that here at I'm Living Proof and DVSA, we share the real stories of peers living with depression and bipolar disorder in an effort to provide hope, help, support, and education for our community. Thank you for listening. Welcome to another episode of I'm Living Proof. I'm Dante Freeman and I'm joined by my co-host, Hannah Zeller. How are you, Hannah?
1: I am well, Dante, and I'm really looking forward uh, to hearing Brianna's episode, you had a really incredible conversation with her.
0: Yeah, this month I had a chance to speak with Brianna, who shared her story of living with depression and bipolar. Every story that has been shared with us touches on adversity, and Brianna's story is no different. Her story has this flow, though, um, where she is presented with an issue or some sort of adversity or some sort of setback, and she takes us through what her initial response is whether that response is positive or negative, she still takes us along that journey. And then she takes us through the real life consequences of that initial response. And then we get to see her grow as different adversities um, pop up in her life. That's a really unique structure to her letter.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think reading Brianna's letter was so powerful but witnessing the discussion that you had with her was even more so. And I'm really just so honored that she's shared her story with us. And I know that our audience um, listening will find hope and inspiration um, for really just her incredible testimony of her experiences. So again, really so appreciative to Brianna.
0: Yeah, before you guys get into that episode, um, a couple of notes little housekeeping remember you can always submit your own letter over at our website dbsalliance.org slash i'm living proof brianna did that and now we have this awesome episode for you to listen to today and as always we really appreciate it if you rate this podcast and subscribe to it those ratings and reviews help us out so much and helps get these stories out to more people
1: all right i think we should hear from brianna Dear Brianna, you're 19 and just starting to realize something is wrong with your mental health. Actually, it's more like a rude awakening. Family and friends are treating you differently. Your mental health is impacting their lives and taking a toll on your relationships. You're not able to see it yet since you're lost in your own worlds. You feel unloved and unwanted, and this has left you stuck in fear. The isolation drives you into a deeper depression and you go down a dark path of abuse and drugs. This time in your life is full of shame and fear. You're ashamed of how your mental illness has impacted friends and family. You believed you were a monster incapable of being loved and being able to love. I'm here today to tell you you're wrong. After removing yourself from abuse, you begin to take notice of what you need to do to move on and live your life the way you've always dreamed of. Finally, at 31, you are becoming self-aware and more loving towards yourself. You're looking at your mental health as an important aspect of your life and you're accepting what you could not accept before. I appreciate your wellness strategy of sticking to your medication regimen and that you've changed your stance on mental health medications. When you were 19 and after you were isolated from your friends and family, you fell silent and became submissive. About a year later and after your mental health worsened even more, you were losing your grip on reality. You became manic and out of control. You were suicidal, in and out of hospitals and refusing medication. You were embarrassed, angry, confused, and depressed. You knew you were being treated differently by loved ones and they refused to acknowledge it or your mental health issues. You became retaliatory, stubborn, and in no way near accepting that what you needed was serious help. It took you a long time to accept that you needed to be on medication. I will admit you only came to this realization that you needed medication about two years ago. After your rock bottom phase, you pulled yourself from the dirt and became sober. You were still refusing medication because you wanted to be healed without taking drugs. Things had been going well for a little while. You were taking a holistic approach to your mental health and found the lifestyle changes were helping. You even started volunteering at a local animal shelter. Despite this, your underlying issues of bipolar was not being managed, it was just suppressed. After a few years of suppressing your unresolved issues, having bad relationships and dealing with poor self-worth, You had a terrifying manic episode. So this time around, you did something different. You accepted the medication you were given at the hospital. You faced your mental health condition head on and accepted that mental health recovery does not end at the hospital and needed to continue afterwards. You stuck to it. And even though it took a few tries to get the medication right, you will find balance. It might seem far off for you at 19, but at 31, we start becoming self-aware and more loving towards ourselves. It's at this age that we make our mental health a priority and accept what we could not accept before. Young Brianna, your greatest strength is your ability to fight injustice and not give up. You have been a protector of your family since you were young and even though you shouldn't have been expected to do that, this has become a source of strength for you that carries you through the hard times. I'm so proud of you and how you embody our personal motto, we can do better. Moments of empowerment and your internal drive to not give up helps get you to where you are today. It gives us the power to protect ourselves and our mental health. Younger self, I want you to know that you're on your way to living in wellness. You will love yourself, respect yourself, and forgive yourself. You are worth it, and you belong here. It might seem impossible to love yourself right now, but you are worth it. The biggest lesson you have learned with living with depression and bipolar disorder is that you need to love and respect yourself and not be ashamed of your illness. You know that you did not have a lot of love growing up and you were treated as a black sheep of the family, but you come to find that you are so much more than your current and past situations. Without this knowledge, you grew up thinking that you were not deserving of love and that made you not love yourself. You have treated your body and your mind so poorly over the years and at times have not done right by yourself. Loving yourself is so important because it allows you to know what makes you happy. You're learning to love yourself and you're rediscovering the person you knew when you were younger. After being pessimistic about your life, you are now filled with hope for the future, a future where you can envision yourself being happy, healthy, and successful. You know now that it is possible to overcome stigma not worry about other people's opinions and do what makes you happy. For the first time in years, you feel your mental health condition does not control you. You feel free. Love, you at 31.
0: Thank you so much, Brianna, for sharing your story with us.
1: You're welcome.
0: I just have to know what was it like writing this letter and then turning around and reading it um for you.
1: Writing it I remember telling Hannah when I submitted it it felt so good like I didn't realize how much I needed to write it until I actually did and to be honest I wrote maybe like six more pages and I had to edit it down um cuz I actually answered all of your questions and it was just it was so therapeutic and then reading it back, I hadn't read it in a little bit and, you know, I started tearing up. It's, I love that I wrote this for myself and, you know, I get to reread it anytime I'm feeling down and it's awesome. It's, it feels good. And just knowing, like, I know where I've, where I started, it was not great, but it, like seeing it and like writing it down and then seeing how I'm like reading it and how I've grown up and just, Took myself out of that horrid situation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's good. It's nice to have like a history of it, I guess.
0: Yeah. And, and giving yourself some time after reading it to like let the letter breathe and then coming back or after writing it, letting the it letter breathe and then coming back and reading it and, and going through all those things again, but reminding yourself, like reminding your 19 year old self, right, that you're going to get through this.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah.
0: So one of the things that uh, we hear from a lot of our guests, a lot of previous guests, is that friends and family can be among the first people in our lives to realize that something has changed in your mental health. Um, But oftentimes it's hard for the person living with depression or bipolar to see that change for themselves. What did friends and family say to you?
1: So they didn't say anything to me. Really? They, I wish it's so hard for me to explain, but you know, when something's wrong, right? Like you're sitting with someone and something's changed. Like the energy is no longer, like you're no longer laughing. Like you used to things feel forced. So when that started to happening, I was asking them, I was like, what's wrong. You know, like, is there something going on? And they kept saying no. So I didn't get told. And then what happened is that it kind of got shoved in everyone's faces because I ended up like having a manic episode and I started going in and out of hospitals. So I just, you know, people just backed away from me. The only people who really had contact with me were my mom because I was living with her at the time. So she was kind of forced to, but she was still one of the people who was treating me differently than, you know, like it just, yeah, I, wish I could to explain it better, but something, it was just off, like, it just, it was off.
0: Yeah, and so they didn't say anything to you, so you actually were the first person to recognize something was wrong, and then it leads to um, you being isolated, or these feelings of isolation. What, what did that period look like for you?
1: That was, one of the most horrifying experiences of my life I because I have I grew up with such anxiety of rejection and abandonment and fear and then the fact that it was happening was just it my world crumbled it was I changed my whole I like my whole inner person changed it was just and I still have the effects of it today like there's still things like PTSD is real and you know like I'm It's crazy. Yeah, it was scary. It's scary when all of a sudden, you know, your best friend who was there for you when your parents were, you know, fighting and my mom, unfortunately, has issues herself. And, you know, and then suddenly she's not there for you anymore. And that one person that you really had was just gone. And you, you wish you're asking them if there's anything they can do. And you're at the point already when you're 18 years old, where you're done. They don't even want to give you another chance. And it's, you know, thinking about it now, it's horrifying. I can't imagine doing that to someone at 18. Yeah, especially
0: an A- adult, especially 18 and 19 when the world is changing for you, right? Now you're yeah. quote unquote an an adult, right? And where you, uh, where you starting school at the yeah. time that this was happening? Oh, yeah. so you were tr- you're applying or starting school and then, you know, you're having these mental health challenges, and then, like you say, your support system kind of falls out from underneath you, what do you wish your 19-year-old self, or what, what would, if you could stop time and talk to your 19-year-old self at that period, what would you say to her?
1: I would tell her that there are people out there who love you, no matter what, um, because I found those people. They know about my history, and they're still here, Um, so i remind myself that I'm not alone. Um, And also that what they did was not okay. Mm -hmm. And what should have happened if my mental health was that bad, I should have gone instead of going to college, which I did, I maybe should have gone to the hospital, you know, or I should have started therapy and, and like took a year off and started, you know, something. I would have gone and gotten help myself, you know, and if honestly, if I was talking to my 19 self, I'd be like, girl, you got to go to the hospital. You got to like, get it together and just, <laughs> you got to hit, you got a life ahead of you. So.
0: Right. Yeah. We here in this Western society often push kids to make very big decisions at <laughs> 18 and 19 when you're yeah. right. You need like help, whether it's hospitalization or therapy or, you know, even something, you know, as simple as acknowledging that we need help sometimes is is a big step forward and some something gets missed as we're trying to push to the the next step so you had these mental health challenges happening right dealing with uh symptoms of depression and bipolar um and you seem to be in these like phases of denial or, or ignoring these mental health challenges what factors do you wish you would have known at the time and do you think there were there was anything else that might have helped you Push to seek for treatment?
1: I think what I really needed was to know that people were actually there to help me. Unfortunately, when I fell into the deeper depression, I was starting to get manic before like everything started happening with my family and friends, which is kind of what sparked it. But I really became manic and borderline schizophrenic. I don't know they, that at one point a doctor had said that about me, but it never really carried through. But because I was having these like manic episodes, um, I didn't believe that anyone was there to help me. I was like, that's it. Everyone's out to get me. Like there's a whole conspiracy, all this stuff. So, um, I wish I had, I really wish I had like knew better to listen to the doctors and listen to the CNAs and everyone at the hospital and, you know, there were some people that I knew at that age that, you know, they were my age. They didn't really know what was going on, but I had met some people that were nice, and I wish I'd seek them out more. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Was there anything that the the medical staff or other people, counselors or whomever who were trying to help you at the time, was there anything that they could have said to you or things that they could have done differently that you think would have made you more receptive to the the help? Yes.
1: So one thing I find is that when someone is going through a manic episode, they are not themselves. Um, I was not myself. I was all over the place. And I, even to this day, I don't know how well they handle the situation, but it's scary when you're being sectioned. It's a horrifying feeling like you no longer have any rights. Like you're in that hospital. And I just, I wish there was a better I don't I like and I don't even know if there is a better way to do it because someone who's going through that is going to experience how they experience it. But I just wish it was it wasn't as traumatic going into the hospital the first few times as it was because I don't think they handled it correctly. Like the first time the person told me I was just going in to get some sleep. And I didn't realize what was happening was I was going to get sectioned. And it was scary. I was like, Whoa, hold on. I thought I was going to get sleep and just kind of have my vitals checked, and yeah, I, they could have done that better, um, but I'm also, I think back, and I think about how scared I was, and how I just didn't believe that anyone was there to help me, so I don't know if, I'm not sure if they could have also have done anything differently, like, well, inside the hospital, I mean, not, like, the people who were sectioning me, but, like, it, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, they need to, I mean, to kind of quote unquote sugarcoat it as you're going in and get sleep and and instead of telling you exactly what was going to happen, especially for something brand new, right? This was the first time you were hospitalized, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. For those of us in the audience who aren't familiar with this process, would you mind telling us what um, being sectioned is?
1: So sectioned is when you are deemed no longer, you're either um, a harm to yourself or to others. So you need to be, um, brought into the hospital to be evaluated and check out your mental health. And, you know, you're there for at least 72 hours. And then if they determine that you need to go to an outside clinic to get more help, you'll go, or they'll release you.
0: So you're released after your first, after your first hospitalization, was that your only hospitalization?
1: no so the first time i was hospitalized when i went in there i was angry and i told them i was told that i was only going here to sleep and i Mm -hmm. think that they were like oh wait that's possibly a legal issue so they let me out that same day and that doesn't happen wow I ended up having a manic episode, so that first time I was still like I was still sane. I was having issues, so the therapist that I was seeing—that's why she said it. But then the second time where I was actually hospitalized was when I had a manic episode, and they were, they weren't letting me out.
0: That <laughs> so I was all well, over the place. that may be the first time I've heard uh, people who um, talk to us about their hospitalization that they were let out immediately. Usually, uh, you know, as you were explaining before. They, they talk about, hey, I was taken to a place I wasn't familiar with, it, and I was kept there for three days, and then I was let out.
1: Like, it really set the mood. I really thought, you know, if I got hospitalized again, I could just say, hey, wait, hold on. And then, no, it doesn't work like that. That's like that one-off situation. oh
0: <laughs> uh, So let's skip forward a little bit. You get to a point where you're doing well, you're using holistic practices, you're working at an animal shelter, you're making lifestyle changes, and then you have a manic episode. I'm assuming this is the second hospitalization?
1: No. So when I was 19, I was in and out. It was a revolving door that happens with some people. Um, I just couldn't get it right. I wasn't taking the medication. And that's when I really, really needed it. I'm not going to lie. I really needed something. But then this time around, it was actually the 10 year anniversary of when people started treating me differently. Like I remember it to the day where the first time that I noticed it. So I it just kind of started building up. I was trying to relax about it. But then suddenly I found myself in a manic episode and I was kind of hallucinating a little bit. And so my friends were like, yeah, you gotta, they, called the, uh, like the ambulance and asked me to go to the hospital. So I ended up going, I was still a little manic. So I was still a little afraid and told them that I shouldn't have been there, but they didn't didn't believe me.
0: (laughs) So in this hospitalization, this is when you decided that um, maybe I should get on medication.
1: Yeah. So when they actually sent me to the, um, where I was actually, I was at the hospital and then they sent me to the actual mental institute well not institution that sounds like an old school saying but like the next hospital where i was actually staying for a week um that's where i decided that's where i was like this like i when i was younger i didn't have a lot to lose mm-hmm. but now that i'm older i have a full-time job that i absolutely loved I, that i love i was living on my own for the first time so that freedom i like wasn't ready to give it up um you know my friends that I have I wasn't ready to just like say bye I'm gonna decide to live in a real like a different world and not take medication and whatever so yeah it really there's a lot there's a lot to lose this time and I was like this is I'm not gonna live the rest of my life this way and I'm not gonna live the rest of my life in fear either
0: one part of your letter that really resonates with me is um, you describe yourself as like being the protector of your family. You know, family members call on you or you're a third support system for them. That is a lot of pressure to put on a kid.
1: So unfortunately, my support is a sad story. Um, My family, my parents, they physically fought uh, all the time. And I was the one, I'm the middle child. So I was the one that was actually breaking up the fights. Like I would be getting in the middle of them. Um, so that's the support that I was giving. And, you know, I was being like basically the older siblings slash parents and my brother and sister who were horrified whenever this was happening, like they were hiding upstairs and yeah, but like, I'm not happy it happened, but I know that I am a very strong person because of it. Like I, I can, if I handled that at such an like young age, I can, and it, like today, like if I see something that's an injustice, like I remember one time someone used the, you know, the derogatory term for someone who's gay and I, and I didn't even know the person. And I was like, excuse you, right. <laughs> I just call them out. Like anything, like, I'm not afraid to do that because it's, you know, there's so much crap in the world. It's like, just don't stop it, you know?
0: Another part that resonated with both me and Hannah is um, you wrote the, I'm so proud of you and how you embody your personal model. We can do better. What caused you to adopt that model? And is it something that you still use today?
1: So when I was younger, part of the issue with my friends and my family is that I believed everything happened for a reason. Like I, that was, it was part of my manic episodes Like every, literally everything happened for a reason. And I was like believing all like, you know, crazy stuff. And it wasn't great. The words that I like, you know, when you're kind of forcing things on people and that's what I was kind of doing. Part of it, like one part of it was that I always told myself that we can do better. Like myself, I can be a better person. I was trying to just tell myself, this is like, you don't need to do this. This is, this is not you. This is someone new. It only happened like a year ago that you started acting like this other person. And so that always kind of stuck with me and it, it always like, it's kind of driven me to where I am today because I've always told myself I can get myself out of this situation. I just have to keep doing better. So what is it that's going to get me there?
0: I love that in your letter you said to yourself you will love yourself respect yourself and forgive yourself how did you get to a place of forgiveness
1: it was very hard but I reminded myself that you know and I said in the letter too my situation is not what it is my my current and my past situation don't define my life um so I need to realize I need to like let go of that burden of like, I haven't done the best that I've done. I've like, I just need to understand that I can change. And I think that's what really sparked it is the knowing that I have a chance to be a different person, just like anyone else does. And forgiving myself is part of that change.
0: I'm going to jump back here for a second. So because friends and family members didn't really say anything to you, um, which is a little different than uh, previous letters that we Her, what would you say to um someone who is in a situation where they know something is wrong with their mental health but the people around them aren't realizing it what do you have any tips or advice for them
1: stand your ground because you know that something's wrong and it I wish that I had gone about it differently I wish that I said I wish that I had said to them okay so if you're going to act like this then I'm going to remove myself from your situation But because I was so scared and so worried and all that, I kind of, I became submissive. I was like, okay, what do you need? Like, you know what I mean? I just like stand your ground because you know something's wrong. Your energy, your gut, I like, I'm fully believe that like 100%. So, you know, find yourself a group, a therapy group, a someone that you trust and just look at yourself, take a look at your life and, you know, see what's going on. Don't ignore it
0: at all and yeah. Absolutely, and for those of you out there who are listening and don't know much about DBSA, we do have online support groups for young adults and we have in-person support groups that are starting to come back as um, restrictions are beginning to lift. So you can always go to our website and click on the support tab and and find a support group near you.
1: The support groups are awesome. I've done it myself, I love them, yep.
0: That was great. What, what would you say though to a family member or a friend, a friend who is noticing something has changed about their loved one and they want to help? What do you have any advice for them?
1: So I think, so you're saying you're asking if someone, if I've, if I notice someone noticing.
0: Correct. Right? Correct.
1: Um, I would just you know ask them to treat me not as like a stigma Mm -hmm. i think is what the big thing was and just you know look at me as a real person and my friends this time around i was very thankful like they were they were firm with me they were like you know something's going on we know that you need to get help and like they just didn't like there was no skirting around the issue and I think that's what really people need to do is just be straightforward and say, hey, I love you, but something's going on. And it's for your own health. It's for your own safety that, you know, we look into it and see what's going on.
0: Yeah, let's talk about your support system a little bit here. So um, you have a group of friends who, like you said, have come to your aid now. what? How did you build that and um, how do they help you in your life today?
1: So, um, I didn't have much friends when I started working at the animal shelter. Um, I was after I was in a very abusive relationship. So I, I fell out of friendships with everyone. Um, so then I started volunteering and I did that for about five, six years. Um, and I just really got a great support system. There was a lot of great people volunteering and, I'm so thankful for them. Like I, I got myself through school, they helped me get my job, like they gave me a chance and made me a manager at the shelter, which actually helped me get my job. I really think so. I don't know if my boss would say the same, but um, it really, yeah, like it was, they really helped. Um, Unfortunately, I moved away. So it's a little far from me now, but I still keep in touch with them. Um, They are always checking in. And, you know, we do Prosecco nights. so um it's always fun we always get together um even if we haven't seen each other in a while it's still (laughs) right Hannah yeah (laughs) it's still um you know still good so
0: that's great that's great um I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the um the substance use period of your life and so were you experiencing symptoms and then relying on substance or did it just everything just happened all at once
1: so it happened when i was younger um unfortunately a tragic event happened with one of my friends um so it kind of my brother kind of got her into smoking cigarettes which okay. kind of got me into smoking cigarettes which snowballed into drinking so then when something happened with me like something it wasn't anything too crazy it was just like a breakup or something i was like that's it it got, yeah, at a very young age, I got hooked onto some bad things, yeah, unfortunately, but thankfully not doing it these days. So no problem here.
0: (laughs) Oh, and again, you're living proof, right? And that's why you wrote the letter to yourself. And so that it could help other people who may be in a similar situation. If you You don't mind,
1: you can do it.
0: You don't mind. Can we dive a little deeper into this abusive relationship and what that looked like for someone who is living with depression and bipolar and, and what you wish you would have known at the time to help. How did, one, let me back up. How did you persevere to get out of that situation? And then what would you tell someone who is currently in a situation where they're in an abusive relationship, whether it's with a, uh, a significant other or even like a mom, dad, parent situation?
1: So I got out... Thankfully it was after, so he had, it's really bad. He um, shoved my face into a, the road. So cement and he broke my nose, but ironically or sadly, I stayed with him because I was too afraid to go to the hospital by myself and leave my car where it was. It was just this meant like, I was so like, I was, I was so in shock that I was more worried about my car. So then about a month later, he was again hitting me and he threatened me with a knife. And I don't know what it was. I, I finally went ran and I it was at the mall. So there would happen to be a police station that was like, you know, one of those little kiosks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I told them and I don't know what it was, but that it was the final straw. It was just my grandmother um, had just passed away and it was, I just couldn't believe my life was where it was in that moment. It was just so like, I watched my dad beat my mom growing up and here I am in a similar situation. It was just, it was eye opening that I just couldn't believe that I allowed it to happen. And anyone that's going through it, I understand. I understand why you stay with them. No one, it's really hard for people to see that who are out of that situation. So I would say, you know, stay strong. Try to get out if you can. Any time that you feel that you can, you're strong enough to leave, leave. Even if it's for a night, you're, you know, like those little moments that you have of like, I can leave, take them and run. Don't, don't stay, like, try to do it, um, and get help, get help. The police are there to help. I like the amount of times that I ignored the police when, you know, he was being, when he was hitting me and they were coming and trying to help me. It just, just remember that they're there and, um, and that there are, you know, restraining orders and it, I will, it kind of stinks. You know, one thing a PSA is that abusers don't go to jail for long. They don't, it's unfortunate. And I know that's a lot of things that scare people into actually getting help because they think it's not going to make a difference, but it will. It will, it'll make a difference. That guy doesn't talk to me anymore because I decided that I was going to throw everything that I had at him. So once you do that, it scares them off. So unless, you know, I, almost everyone not everyone's the same but
0: yeah that's I I think that's pretty sound advice and we'll make sure to include um information about domestic violence and resources in the in the footnotes and at the top of the episode um we'll make sure to include that information um well I appreciate you being here with us today before you leave uh, we're gonna switch gears a little bit. What is a wellness tip, or your favorite your favorite wellness tip, or something that you do for wellness that you would like to share with everyone?
1: Go to the gym. <laughs> Go to the gym. Oh my gosh! So I stopped going to the gym for a little bit, and then I picked it up again, and I felt amazing. And I kind of took a week off, and I can feel like I can, you know, I feel a little yucky. So. Definitely going to the gym helps. It just, you know, even if you're just walking on the treadmill for a half hour, it just, or even going outside and taking a walk as we're getting into the warmer weather. Absolutely. Just breathe in that fresh air. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Those are those wellness tips, right? Those, those, um, simple ones that people are like, oh, that's what you say all the time, but they're so important, right? Mm -hmm. Those get enough sleep, drink enough water, go to the gym. They can really help.
1: It really does. It makes a huge difference. Yeah.
0: Is there anything else you want to, um, you want to talk about Brianna or you want to leave our audience with before we get out of here?
1: Um, just love yourself. As I've read in my letter, it's so important. Um, that's the best thing you can do. There's only one of you. Something Thank along you so those much. lines.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing with us today. Brianna.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.
0: Hey, Dante here. Thanks for listening to that episode. I just wanted to provide a few resources. If you are experiencing domestic violence, help is available. Call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or text START to 88788. Find out more at www.thehotline.org. If you or a loved one are experiencing issues with substance use, you can contact SAMHSA's National Hotline. It's free and confidential and available 24-7. You can reach that at 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-4357. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. Your reviews really help us out and we appreciate them. If you feel inspired and want to submit your own letter, head over to dbsalliance.org slash I'm Living Proof. This episode was hosted by DBSA Programs Manager Hannah Zeller and Digital Communications Manager Dante Freeman. You can support DBSA and more shows like this one by making a gift today head over to dbsalliance.org donate. Your support can help make sure that no one feels alone. Thank you.